Hi, and welcome to the JLD Entertainment Podcast with me, Jacqueline Lee Elliott. Today's guest is Bo Chamberlain, and Bo has worked on and produced many different events in over 12 countries across many sporting codes and has just returned back from the Tokyo Olympics, which is a huge bucket list item for him. And we are here today to talk about all things career, how he started, some of the major events he's been able to work on, how COVID changed things, and the importance of having a great sports pres team working on your major event. Bo, it's so great to have you on here today. You've done some great things already in your career. Talk me through how this all started for you. My first year at GBE, I went to Singapore 11 times. Wow. Yeah, so it was crazy. So I was, I was just, you know, I, I come from an NRL club, like not even a full-time person at NRL club, into traveling the world. It was, it was crazy. The first time I went was just a big culture shock. I, I'd traveled on my own before, but it wasn't, I was only going for the weekend. Like I'd leave on a Thursday and I'd be, I'd be back first thing Monday morning. It was, yeah, it was such a culture shock to me because you're not there to, for fun. You're not there to, you know, to go yeah. sightseeing. You're not there. People always think like, oh, you travel all the time. You must see a lot of things. And now over time you learn how to time manage. Yeah. Those first couple of times was just a whirlwind. You get in, you're in a taxi on your own and you're getting taken to some random hotel. And then the next morning you're at a stadium, which is wow. just life. You're back, yeah. back to a normal life. Then the moment you walk into a stadium, it's just like any other stadium. Yeah. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Um, so, yeah, that was my first year. I think it was only Singapore in my first year. Um, and then places like Abu Dhabi for the Special Olympics. Um, I've done events in Italy, Budapest, um, Scotland, the, uh, you know, London, and then all around America. I've done a heap of swimming as well. There's a few others I can't remember, but everywhere you go is different cultures, different, you know, different rules, different people live by different rules of life. So Abu Dhabi was the, the big one where you had to show up to work in long pants and you have to be all dressed in the, in the right way. Otherwise, it's, you're disrespecting their culture. Yeah. Uh, and Abu Dhabi's the coolest it gets to 38 degrees. It was, it was horrific. But yeah, it, it, it's amazing to see, to be able to see the world. And you know, I basically just watch sport for a living. Yeah. And so you started as a marketing intern at Cronulla Sharks at 19, where you volunteered for a few years. This is where I met you. Yeah. Did you always want to work in sport? Was this a role that you kind of doubled in just to see if you would like it? Yeah. I, sport was always where I wanted to end up. How? I, I wasn't sure. Um, I did a advanced diploma in marketing and sports management. Um, and that's how I got to the Sharks as an internship. Um, and I had maybe a month there of, in the marketing team and it just, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't want to sell anything. I can't sell anything. Um, and then the game day manager at the Sharks, Jerry Hunt said, come, come to a game day and, and see how, how you like it. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that was the best thing ever. Um, Hooked. It was a, it was a night game. It was actually Blake Ferguson's debut. I remember this game because he, he scored three tries on debut and he scored one of the most unbelievable tries. It was before the days that wingers would dive out and be able to slam the ball down. He was the first person I ever remember doing it. It was the first game day I worked and I was like, this is the best thing ever. If I can make a career out of this, I would be so happy. Um, so I did the rest of the season with Jerry um, and there at the Sharks 2009. And then end of the season, there was no job for me. Um, so I went back and found some casual jobs for the next until the next season, which hopefully I'd, I'd get a run. But I, I didn't really know because Jerry left her role in the off season. Yeah. Um, 
and I wasn't sure who was stepping in, even if there was a job going or if, if I could apply. But I missed the boat altogether. They, they gave it to who's still now the, the game day manager, Jess. And then she rang me. The trial game happened. They had a trial game against Manly in 2010. And I didn't get a phone call. I was like, oh, I guess I miss out then. And it was before the days where I'd you know, pick up the phone and ask if, if they needed anyone. Yeah. Um, and then round one came along. And she goes, I, I, I need someone to run the floor. Like, we didn't have anyone in the tunnel. Can you come do it? I was like, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it for free. Get me out there. I shouldn't have said that because I, I did, did the full season for free, <laughs> um, which is okay. I, 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 was, I, was, I was fine with it because. You wanted the experience. Yeah. And I was doing something I, I loved to do. So I ran the tunnel that first year in 2010. And then I think it could have been that next year, 2011, maybe 2012. So I, I, I stuck with it. Um, for the next couple of years, just searching for jobs. I was working, I was doing some labouring work down here in Shell Harbour and then applying for other jobs. But I think it was 2011 or 2012, I started show calling, I think. And the then sharks. I just loved it. Yeah, show calling the sharks. And I thought that was a, an enormous production at that, at that time. I thought that yeah. was the, the biggest thing ever. And working with some, some pretty cool announcers and MCs. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It's such a good experience to start off with. The thing mm-hmm. now that I, that's where I started and, and how I thought that production was compared to, to take nothing away from what the Sharks do at their home games, but the stuff that you know, I've seen since is, is mind-blowing. You finish there at uh, Sharks for a little bit and you travel over to England where you play cricket and you travel around for a few years. Where were you based in yeah. England? So I, I, it got to a stage where I just couldn't find a job. And I was, I was pretty sick of it. And I had a New Year's where, you know, I was just a bit over what I was doing. And we had a guy over in Shohara playing. He was from London. And he goes, do you want to come back and play in my, my club? I was like, yeah, 100%. I didn't have much money, but I, I always just wanted to travel. But I just didn't really know how or, or where to go. Um, so I, I bought a one-way ticket to, to Heathrow. Um, and I was based just outside of like central London. It's called Buckinghamshire, a place called Gerrard's Cross. It's like the third richest town outside of London. So wow. there's people that drive around like Aston Martins, Lamborghinis, and I'm this kid from a country town walking around in singlet and thongs. <laughs> just getting the weirdest looks from people. But I was, I was based there. So I did six months there, came home for our summer to play cricket back in Australia. Then I went back for another six months. So the first year, I just lived it up. I, I didn't work. I was making a bit of money off playing cricket, coaching. Um, and I travelled around a couple of cities in Europe, had some mates come meet me. You love the culture. Yeah, I love the culture. It was just so relaxed, this town. It was very much like a similar town to where I live in now. Um, yeah, it was just so chilled out. It was so good. And I, I was the Australian. I was one of two Australian guys in the whole town. So everyone loved me. Yeah, token Aussie. Yeah, um, token Aussie. And did you work on any events while you were over there? First year, I didn't work at all, played. And the second year, I worked at a company called Keith Prouse, mm-hmm. who they look after like corporate hospitality in major sporting events. I was the Wimbledon coordinator. So I did work the Wimbledon tennis tournament, which was unbelievable. Wow. The, the, the traditions of, I mean, the traditions of all sports in England are, are pretty unbelievable, but, but Wimbledon itself was amazing. It was Two and a half weeks of just eighteen-hour days, and that's something I wasn't really used to. Like you were, you were. I worked a game day at the Sharks, and they were long days. But it was just one. Mm-hmm. I'd show up on the day, and then once it finished, I'd go home. I wasn't in the office the next day, but this was 
the week leading up to the tournament was probably 16 hours a day in the office and I would work Monday through Saturday. Um, and then the week of the tournament or the two weeks of the tournament were, they were long, long days, but it was, it was amazing. I got to watch the, um, it was the year Djokovic beat Federer in the final. And that was, wow. that was like, I mean, we got paid, obviously paid to work, but that was like our present. Cause after the tournament finished, you, that was the end of your contract. You had two more days to pack up everything. Like as a little gift, they gave you a ticket to watch the, the men's final. I back and watched a women's final in you know, the third row. It was unbelievable. That's massive, Wimbledon. Wow. You decide to head back home. You knew you wanted to work in sport. You didn't know where. But when you get home, what are your next steps? You mentioned you come back to work with the Sharks for a little bit in 2016. Yeah. So I, I came back and I, I was still on the job search. Mm. Um, so I thought, you know, having worked at Wimbledon would really look good on my resume um so early 2016 i applied for a job at the knights as match day coordinator as match day manager um and i've grown up as a knights fan so it was was my perfect job yeah the the ceo of the knights was the old ceo of the sharks so i knew him the coo was there he was from the sharks as well so I, i thought i had a really good chance and even when i walked out of that interview they both said, you'll be hearing from us by the end of the week. And I've, I've walked down like, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to get a job of the nights. My brother lived up there. So I had, I had somewhere to stay. Um, this is like dream come true. They rang me at the end of the week saying, you've missed out by the skin of your teeth. Wow. Someone, we, we've taken someone local. Um, but if that doesn't fall through, you're the top of the list. And I was gutted. I was absolutely I heartbroken. It's like I, I walked out of this thing. So I'd applied for a couple of other jobs and it comes second or, you know, they, they said I was, it was, it was out of me or someone else and it was always going to someone else. And I thought this was the time where it would change, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. So yeah. I went back to the Sharks that weekend. Um, and then their announcer, Matt DeGroote, um, said, hey, I've got a, a, another company I do a lot of work for. Send me your resume and I'll pass it on to them. Amazing. I was like, yeah. Great. Like I'm, I'm very thankful, but I'm after everything that's happened, I'm not going to like cross my fingers. Not going to hold my breath. Yeah, exactly right. And then had an email from their head of sports saying, Hey, we'd love to come out and watch a show call. I was like, Oh God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, can I even show call? Am I any good? Um, the self-talk. Yeah, that's right. So it was, it was great big events. So where I ended up, she came out and watched, she sat in the back, didn't say a word. And I was like, this is the worst. Oh, I, had, no. I, I felt sweat dripping off my face. She didn't say a word. At halftime, she goes, lovely to meet you. Shook my hand and left. Wow. Like, you didn't watch it. Like, you went in with a full game. Like, you missed half the pre-show. Like <laughs> Pre-show's massive. Then, yeah. Like, that was the whole part of it. And Mac goes, oh, look, if that doesn't work out, I've got other, other companies. Uh-huh. So even he was, like, giving off, like, a, a negative vibe. And then the Sharks on, like, a, you know, a 15-game winning streak. Yeah. Um, and then it was, it got to the point where I had a trip to go to America for a wedding and now I'm making the finals. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to miss this. They've never won a comp. I'm going to have, I, I was, it was my best mate's wedding. I was in the bridal That's party. Right. Yes. So <sighs> I, the, the Bucks party was in Vegas the week before the grand final. I left <gasps> the Monday of the grand final. Yeah. Right. What's the grand final in a private booth in Vegas? Right. I was in a nightclub, paid all this money for a private booth. 
all my mates are having the best of time and me and another guy just sitting on my phone. My brother FaceTimed me during the game so I couldn't even stream it. Oh, no. Wow. So I watched the game on my phone through a FaceTime with my brother. And then later that night, I got a phone call from GBE because it clicked over to the Monday. I was still in Sunday, Sunday night. Uh, and they offered me a job. Amazing. Can you start Friday? I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm actually in Vegas. And then she's worked out the times. She says, maybe you better call me next week. <laughs> so it was like 3 a.m. in the morning in Vegas time. I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll call you next week. So we had to go to Hawaii for the wedding. And then one, once I got back from Hawaii, met with GBE. And that was and the started. next part. Yeah, right. By the chapter. Wow. And GBE, you've done some great things with them. What have been some of the highlights during your time with GBE? For example, Invictus Games, that yeah. was a big one. Invictus was huge. Look, to, be, to be honest, everything I've done with GBE, and I, I've tried to like base my whole career on this, there's no event too big or too small. Mm. Everything that I did there was, it felt like it was the biggest thing that was happening which is which is i feel like how it should feel like you shouldn't go into events saying oh this is a high school event let's just treat it as a high school event like it, yeah. everything was treated with the utmost professionalism um but invictus was great that was that was probably like one of the harder ones because mm-hmm. when you travel to these multi-sport events or even any big major event that's not in sydney so i would fly to say brisbane go to the hotel then you go to the venue back to the hotel you have someone driving you or you drive your car the ones in Sydney, I have to travel from home. So yeah. two hours, two hour drive to then show call all day and then another two hour drive home. So I did, I started with the swimming, which wasn't so bad. The swimming hours were okay. It was like the morning session was 10 till 12. And then the evening session was say three till six. So I'd finish by you know eight o'clock, drive home, home by 10 till early the next day. But after the swimming finished, I moved over to the track and field. So that was starting at 7 a.m. and not finishing till like 11.30 at night. So the event finished at 11.30 and then like you debrief and you pack down. So you finish by 12.30, two-hour drive home, make it 2.30, and I'll be back there at 6.30 in the morning. So there were, yeah, some crazy turnaround times for that event. But it was, it was really good to see that event unfold. Yeah. Um, Invictus Games is is someone like to compete in it. You have to be going to war or representing your country in in war or in the defence forces, and you've come home because you're injured or you've you know you've developed post traumatic distress or, or or something along those lines. So to see these these athletes, because that's what they are, they're still athletes. Yeah, be able to overcome their injuries and and still perform it. Like some some of the people running at track and field could have gone to the Paralympics. Okay. And there was, there was one guy who won gold at the Paralympics in the canoeing who was wow. at the Invictus Games, which is, it's, it's crazy. Invictus is high, high up on the list. The Commonwealth Games in, on the Gold Coast, me and the head of sport, we did track and field. So I was show calling all the medal ceremonies. Mm-hmm. So I ended up calling a third of the medal ceremonies for the entire Commonwealth Games, which is crazy. It just, there was 15 a day. And the last day it was like, there was like 20 ceremonies. It Far was out. Crazy. And then like in, in like the down times where she would work on the cue sheet for the afternoon, I was show calling the intros for the morning session. So it was just, they were unbelievably long days as well. And just what was always high pressure. Very high pressure. What was her name? Uh, the medal ceremonies. Was it a woman? There was someone. For the Com Games. No, sorry, for Invictus. But she was head of, she was the medal ceremony master. I can't remember her name because I worked on 
the archery. Yes. Jenny Lee, yeah. She's like the queen of ceremonies. Yes. I came across her a lot that week because I we did yeah, I did archery and then the tennis. Yeah. She's great. I learned a lot from she's her. Now, she's now working on the FIFA mm-hmm. Soccer World Cup in Qatar or wherever it is. Wow. So she's doing the full ceremonies for that, which, yeah, she's unbelievable. She's like known worldwide for being just the ceremony queen. So you've worked with GBU for quite a while and back and forth a little bit as well over the years. You've also been a freelancer. Do you enjoy being a freelancer? Yeah, I did. So 2018, it was about mid-2018 I went freelance and then obviously 2019 and 2020 was COVID hit 2020 and, and slowed everything down. But being, being a freelancer just means I can just pick and choose what I do, really. Yeah. If, if someone comes to me with a, a job in uh, wherever it is and I, I doesn't really suit what I want to do, then I just say probably not this time or I'll give them someone that can do the role. To be honest, there hasn't been many I've turned down, but it's just when they overlap and you know, I've got the preference to choose. Um, but I, I do love, I do much rather being a freelancer and just not sitting in an office all day every day is is what does my head in I can't just sit there behind a computer and do yeah. a nine to five and especially I work, working in Sydney yeah I was spending 20 hours in a car a week getting home on a Friday night and just being dead it just wasn't a lifestyle I wanted and no I feel you because I used to live down there and <laughs> I had to move back to Sydney because the travel was just too it was too dangerous for me um late yeah. at night but so you're a freelancer and COVID creeps in and changes the whole world of sport and events. And how did you move with this? It was hard. It was, it was a panic because mm. I had all, my, my 2020 year was full. I was fully booked out to as much as I wanted to be. Yeah. Obviously I still had room, but I, I only wanted to work so much so I could be home a bit more. Um, and then basically the world stops within a day. So I, I was working on the cricket in, at the SCG. Australia were playing New Zealand. And I was on the way up to the cricket. I was going to do show calling it. Got the phone call. Hey, mate, we need to have a chat. Crowd, we're, we're locking the doors. No one's allowed in after this after this time. Crowds aren't coming in. It's just going to be the players. I was like, I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. How? What? What's the point? Like, these players are playing for crowd. Like, it's a crowd thing. Oh, the, the broadcast will still be there, but we're only having limited broadcasters, and I, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. I got to the stadium in time, and everyone's just in disarray. Like, uh, we flew an MCO from New Zealand, a normal cricket MC, Glenn Hawke. Our announcer, we flew up from Melbourne, half the crews from around Australia, and we're all sitting in this very tight room where nowadays you wouldn't be caught dead with 20 people in a room. No. It, could, it just wouldn't happen in Australia now. So we, we all sat around and people people were getting like quite upset about it, but we literally just went around and we were like, look, you're not needed anymore. You can, you can go. We'll pay you, you pay the day rate because yeah. we've, we've had you for the day, but you go straight to the airport, you go home. Wow. And there was probably three quarters of the room. How scary. The, the girl from New Zealand, she was the women's keeper, Katie Martin. So she's a, a top flight cricketer. Yeah. And she... Just got sent home that that afternoon back to New Zealand. Get um, home quickly. Yeah, yeah. as soon as yeah. you can, because you're all going to be locked out of your country. Yeah. Um, and then that was the last time they played. So it was meant to be a four match series. We we're meant to have two two in Sydney, two in Hobart. 
Um, they canned the series um, within two weeks. The NRL was shut down. The rugby was shut down. Sport in Australia was gone. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just finished a role. So I had a big invoice come in. So I wasn't panicking so much, um, but probably lasted two or three weeks. And I, I rang the people I've been working for. I rang GBE. I rang other people, and they just got, we've got nothing. Yeah. Like full, even full time staff was again put down to two days a week. Um, so I got a job at a bar. The pubs were still open. I started a lawn mowing business, and that's how I made ends meet. Like my partner was a nurse, so she was flat out. Yeah. She, she was working around the clock, um, but just to keep busy because I, I can't wake up and sit on the lounge all day and watch TV. I need to feel like I'm accomplished something. But then, like even when the gym shut, like I just felt like I had nothing. It went from I went from the highest of highs to the lowest lows. Yeah. The day before, or the, the week of complete shutdown, I just accepted a role at the Tokyo Games. So I signed my contract for Tokyo 2020, and then four days later, it was cancelled. Wow. So I just gone like one of my bucket list items was you know to work at the Olympic Games. Yep. I thought it would have been Paris. I, I planned for Paris, but if I could get something at Tokyo, great. But yeah. So many things. I was quite fortunate though. Like in August, I got a phone call mm. um, saying, hey, we've this swimming tournament that took place the year before. We've, we've got it up. We've got people from around the world coming and we want you to show call it. Like I show called the year before and I was quite lucky to be able to get out of the country, get to Budapest and do the job. Like same thing, got stuck in Budapest. I was there for three months. I was maybe there for six weeks. So yeah, for three months. Three months. Couldn't get home. Yeah. Hannah, my partner, was pregnant. Yeah. I didn't know it was three months. Wow. Yeah. So it was only maybe six weeks. And then I ended up getting home in December. They could only get us home through business class flights to Perth. So they got me to Perth. And then luckily I picked up a job to get home. So right. I couldn't get a flight from Perth to Sydney. Flight from Perth to Adelaide, did the cricket match there. And then from Adelaide, was lucky enough to get home because Adelaide locked down the day after I left. So I, I almost missed New Year's. Some people did. Some people had to go into lockdown. Wow, that so is I crazy. I don't know what I would have done if I missed Christmas. I missed any more time at home. Early, late August, get home in December. Yeah, wow. That was your 2020. Yeah, that was basically my, my, my 2020 day. Half of it in a closed down Budapest. I don't know if you've ever been to Budapest, but it is the most beautiful city. And there's people everywhere. Like no matter what time of year you go, it's people everywhere. It's buzzing. It's restaurants. It's nightclubs. It's bars. And this, it felt like I was like a bomb had hit, knocked out the country. Science. We were in a tight bubble for six weeks. So it wasn't, we didn't really see anything for the six weeks. But once we got out, like once the tournament finished, we were out of a bubble. So we could roam around a bit, but there was just, there was nothing, nothing opened. And the fact that you finally got a flight to Perth but had to kind of hop around the States to get home. Yeah. That's insane. I actually forgot how wild that year was for you. Yeah. And then you're back. We're in Now we're in 2021. Events are – so the world opens up and I was the same. I remember just being kind of catapulted, feeling like I was catapulted into events again and yeah. much like everyone. And we're all like, oh, we're back on, you know, we're all running on the mouse wheel again. Yeah. And – Every single code is trying to squash their season back into um, a compressed season. And I remember 2020, I had maybe two weekends free in the calendar. 
of no yeah. event, no events. And I remember 2020, the week that everything started to shut down. I remember my assistant at the time, Burn, was like, "We've got to keep our eye on this virus because it's not looking good." And there were just like the murmurs, the murmurs, the murmurs, and. I remember I had a couple of events booked in in February or early March and the client calls and just said, look, we can't have roaming staff on the floor. We're going to have to pull this. And that was like a big two-week gig. And then the following week, I had to release all the staff on that. And then the following week, I just kept getting phone calls, phone calls, phone calls yeah. from every single client just saying, this is cancelled. And the entire year just went blank. And I think I cried for a solid two weeks. Just you worked yeah. so hard for this. And you got to a point where you were like you were succeeding, like succeeding at a at a high level as well. Yeah. And then it's, All of it's us. like it's I feel like Ashton Kutcher was gonna I thought we were getting punked. Like could not believe it. I was exactly the same. Like it took me two two year and a half to really get to a full calendar mm. where I, I was happy with what I was doing and then it just all got taken away. Yeah, and your goals and your what yeah. you had planned for that year, you're like, you know, this is what I want to do this year and it's not going to happen. Yeah. And then the world opens up again and we're like, yes, yes, yes. Everything's kind of flying back in at us with many different obstacles. Can you do this event for a reduced rate? Yeah, that's exactly right. Can we go back to 1998? Yes, please. Work on those prices. Yeah. <laughs> and that is something that a lot of our industry are battling with at the moment. Yeah which we've all kind of banded together. I, I remember picking up the phone and just speaking to a few people in the industry and just saying, are you experiencing the same things? Because I really just don't know how to navigate through this and dropping my mm. rates when we've all worked so hard to get to the professional rates that we're working off. Exactly right. And so it was kind of like a conversation to say, if I have to reduce this rate, this is just for 2020. This is COVID. We're in a pandemic. Yeah. And it's tried to trickle over to 2021, but I think a lot of us just had to kind of stay strong with that anyway. But then, you know, that's a very fluid moving situation just going forward for all of us. But then 2021 happened. So where I remember just being like in a full rebuild phase, tearing my yeah. hair out, exhausted, but saying yes to every single job that's coming through because you're trying to rebuild your business, right? right? And I just kept remembering, I think I was in the basketball season and saying to the event manager, Nicole, just saying, oh my God, I'm just so glad that we're here and we're not in lockdown. And then lockdown, it, all flips. it just started exploding again. So it's been heartbreaking for heaps of people in our industry, but you were lucky enough to get back onto the Tokyo Olympics. So how much preparation and notice did you have with that? So it was during the COVID time, you always get these emails, hey, if this goes ahead, are you available? Mm. And I'd always say yes, but in the back of my mind, I know that's not going ahead. Like realistically, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. But I'll say yes. I'll pencil it in. Um, so I got asked in probably February. Yep. Saying, asking whether I was still interested. So at, at the initial, it was just interest only. Are you interested? Yep. Okay. We'll let you know any further information. And then it went quiet for a couple of months. And then it was probably April, April, May. Um, hey, got your role. Uh, you're going to produce the surfing. How good. But we're not having crowds. We're not doing this, not doing this. And they just kept listing things that they're not going to do. I was like, what, what am I, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make this enjoyable and not act like another surfing competition? Yeah. 
because surfing first time in the Olympics, he, I, I felt extremely lucky to be able to do it. Just to to say I went to the Olympics to work yeah. is, is one thing. To be able to say I've done the first ever surfing event, it was that was one of my career highlights at the moment. And to get there, I was staying in a place called Makuhari, which was two and a half hours away from the beach. So I get there and it's where Japan was the same as Australia. 14 day lockdown once you arrived. They made an agreement with um, the Olympic Committee. If you're a part of the Olympics, you can go to the venue and then you can go to a convenience store that's only for overseas people. So that's, we had eight, I had eight, 14 days out of convenience store. Wow. And I could only go to the venue, which was, which was okay because it was so far away. It was a full day trip. Um, so first day, the second day I got there, drove out to the venue, the car pulls up saying, so you're here. And there was nothing. It was literally just a beach. So I was like, is there, is this the, like the Olympic venue? Yeah. And just opened the door for me and I got out and I was like, oh God. Oh no. Yeah, I, I was there really early for a normal event. You, you, you arrive for your week out, maybe yep. 10 days at max. I was there like three weeks beforehand and there was like one truck there. Right. So they hadn't constructed and anything. Was, no. And I literally got back in the car, went back to my hotel. So there was nothing I could do. Yeah. Like there was no, no place for me to work. There was no, a week later I went back to the venue. So there was, there was nothing happening. My um, production coordinator. So I had a full Japanese team. Mm-hmm. I had an American announcer who was the next pro surfer, uh, Chris Cote. And then I had a translator. Okay. And then everyone else didn't speak any English. Challenge so I, accepted. I was speaking to her and she's like, look, I'm not there till this date. So if I'm not there, you may as well not be there because you can't talk to anyone. So I was slowly trying to learn some like basic Japanese. So just in case I had a call in Japanese. Yeah. I was quite fortunate in 2019. I was in Japan for the Rugby World Cup. So I I understood how they worked and I had the experience of working in Japan before. Um, but this is a whole new ball game. In a sport I didn't really know. I didn't really know much about surfing. I'd never produced it. I'd never show called it. I went back a week later and it was like someone clipped their fingers and this big construction has just happened. They must have worked around the clock to make that work because it was amazing. There was big buildings for all the production, the judges, the timing and scoring people, uh, all the broadcasters. And there was compounds, like broadcast compound for uh, all the director producers all the all the film people the like area where the athletes would go because they couldn't be near anyone that hadn't been fully vaxxed so a lot of the japanese weren't fully vaxxed yet mm-hmm. so they had to steer clear of all the athletes um so it was all very like, there's, already a lot of protocols. there's already a lot, a lot of protocols for that type of stuff but then on top of that was the, uh, your covid protocols and it was just unbelievable there were more things you couldn't do than you could do but it was it was, it was really good the surfers, like the people from the Federation were just like their surfers. So they're all so relaxed. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt like I f- fit in with them because the Japanese are very, like they're stung quite highly. They want to get things done and everyone works until the boss finishes. Mm-hmm. So if the boss doesn't finish to midnight, you don't finish to midnight. So like that's another like cultural thing that I, it took me a while because my team saw me as the boss and I was leaving at three o'clock every afternoon because, mm-hmm. you know, there was nothing else to do. So I'm not going to sit here and I'm, I'm going to drive two and a half hours to get back to my hotel so I'm not too tired for the next day. Yeah. And they just couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand I was leaving before, you know, 8 p.m. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was crazy. But it was the, the surfing was a, was really eye-opening the way that, you know, how relaxed everyone could be 
and how amazing their events could be. We did the fir- very first athlete introduction. So they'd walk down this little L shape down onto this, these plates where they were colored for their jerseys. And we introduced the first lot and they had, they'd have to run probably 200 meters to get to the water. Cause we had, you have to intro them. And after the first intro, they all just went ballistic. Couldn't believe that surfing finally got to the Olympic. Oh, my English announcer was bawling his eyes out. I was like, you need to pull it together. You need to like, you need to get like our next segment's in a minute. You've got a minute to cry. Then we're on. <laughs> and they wipe these tears away and then we're back on. But it was, yeah, it was such an amazing experience. We had some technical issues. My DJ didn't last past the first day here. Just didn't understand uh, the way I wanted to work, the way, the music, the way we wanted to play. Because music is such a, a big thing in sporting events. Like people think, oh, like when you go to watch a, you know, a footy game or, or anything, they just hear the music in the background. But the way, I mean, the professionals try to do it is you're, you're building a show to a point. And then the point is maybe your entry, your first entry, or when the teams run out. And a lot of people will make their own tracks or make their own like music lists and the music guy will just play one after another. But he just, he just didn't understand, unfortunately. Had, had got a new day. one. Got a new one for day two and three, and he was much better. And you get pulled onto another job during your time there? No. So I was on standby. Oh, standby. Yeah, I was on standby just in case anyone got COVID. That's right. So I was going to, because surfing, because obviously um, if there's no waves, they can't surf. So there was, it could have been the longest event in the Olympics or it could have been the shortest. Uh, so I was on standby. I was meant to go do race climbing. Mm-hmm which was another first, um, but because there were so many lay days, I couldn't get to race climbing in time. So I, I, I didn't do that, but um, yeah, I was, I was on standby just in case anyone were to get COVID. So I was there for an extra 10 days after my event finished. And some people did get COVID, didn't they, while you were there? Yeah, yeah, there were heaps. There was like a COVID red zone? Yeah, there was a, a full, it's obviously it started empty. And if you got COVID, you went to this hotel. And I know, I know a few people from the broadcast side of things, Yep. and one of them was she said she could walk out of her room for five minutes a day and she could only go up the corridor and back and back in her room and the, and Japanese rooms are not big so Tokyo is a massive bucket list item for you and I knew this so I knew how big this was for you over there how important is sports press on a match day? Talk to. I know if but you, if you talk to broadcasters we're just people in the background but I, I truly feel that we make a big impact people's game day experience, match day experience, whatever sport they're watching. If you're good at it, you can make that experience for a fan a hundred times better because you take them through the ride of where you're going to get to the end goal, which is your game or your race or or whatever sport you're doing. Um, And it's a big build. So you you start quiet when people walk in and then you, you build to this point where it's the climax. It's, you know, the te- the home team's hitting the field and the crowd's going mental. And then once you get into the game, the sport takes over. Mm-hmm. You're just there to, to, to feed the sport, really. Then you go back into halftime, same thing. You're halftime, you, you recap and you go over what's happened in the first half. Because a lot of people do get up and they'll go to the tour, they'll go get a beer, they'll get food in that halftime period. But when they get back, you start again. You go, you go, you're two minutes before they walk on and it's all about... I, music has a... I've said this before, music has a great way of being able to control the feelings of the uh, the match. Um, yeah, I, I think sports press done right, you can have the crowd eating out of the palm of your hands. Yeah, I totally agree. I love the behind the scenes of what happens on a, on a game or on a show or on a big event, awards night. The person that is show calling 
you're running the show. You've got a script, but you can you need to walk in and that is your role. You read off the script and you're calling yeah. the show. Um, same as a floor manager. Yes. Yeah, floor managers are, are really undervalued, I think. Especially What's- when you have a real, a, a real good one. Um, I know a heap around the world. There are real, some real good ones in Sydney. If you have a good floor manager, a show caller, that's a, just a weight off a show caller's back. Yeah. Remember, they're not having to worry about what's happening downstairs. It's, um, yeah, so much easier to get on with the show upstairs. The producer, you've got the, your event manager, the show caller, floor manager. Communication is key. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So I'm, and they're pulled from all different parts. You know, they could work in multiple codes. There's a great pool of people in Sydney. Yeah. That's one reason why I kind of wanted to talk to as many people as I could who work in these events like yourself and KA and Glenn and highlight these roles and kind of how important they are to have these individuals yeah. part of your like I started out as a floor manager. Like I was for a long time, I was, you know, I was a floor manager for the Sharks. And then even when I went to GBE, it took me, it took a little while to get me into the show callers chair. So I was a lot of the, we did a lot of work for the Wallabies. Hmm. Uh, I, I had floor manager all of the, Rugby champs, the the bladders lows and and stuff like that. So I I take quite pro, a high pride in you know if I can do it, like I was people have faith in me to be able to do a head floor manager. I need to put that faith in the people as well because trust is a huge thing. But even more so when you're we're sitting up in those footy stands in the stadiums, you're usually on the top floor. Yeah. If you're show calling, so you can't see everything that's going on. Like it's it's quite hard to see every little moving piece like you can see it over a big scale but intricately so you need to have someone on the floor right there if something goes wrong boom it's done it's fixed they've troubleshooted it before it's even got so what's next on the list for you world's moisture at the moment i a lot of this, it's still happening jobs are still getting cancelled could be cricket on end of the summer with the ash just being confirmed to go ahead so hopefully i can get my hands on some cricket um, that's obviously the pinnacle for Australian cricketers, you know, Australia versus England. Yeah. They're the, they're the, you want to do the big ones. You don't want to do the games where Australia walk over them in three three matches where there's, you know, a thousand people in the stands. You want to do it when there's 80,000 in the stands. And, you know, I, I feel like the more pressure it's on me, the, the better I work. Um, yeah, but after that, who knows? There's a Cricket World Cup in March in New Zealand. And then hopefully back to America for some some more swimming. But yeah, fingers yeah, crossed. Who knows? Who knows? But stay in touch. You just got to stay in touch and kind of pick up that phone now, don't you? And it's kind yeah, of it's back exactly to- right. And, and and that's not really my strong suit. I'm not I'm not someone that will you know will call around and say, hey, is, is there any work going around? I, mm. That's I've never been good at that. I've never wanted to be able to do that. But the time we live now everyone's kind of staying connected and banding together and keeping their ear to the ground for work and it will come back i believe it will come back and it will be thriving again yeah we're, we're, we're near the end we're near some normal times hopefully hopefully it I think so clears up and we're we're back to doing what we love doing thanks so much for doing this and no, just spending you. time just chatting about career and it's been good to hear your story. Stoked. Thanks for having me. It was just, no, was pleasure. Really Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. That is a wrap. And 
what a great story with Bo. Feeling for everyone working in this sport event and entertainment industry at the moment. Hopefully we are all back up and running as soon as possible so that we can all get back to doing what we love. Thank you so much for tuning in today. You can head over to the news column on our website to read more about Bo and the amazing work he has done. Stay up to date on all things JLD on Instagram at JLD Entertainment and myself, Jacqueline Lee Elliott. If you would like to advertise on this podcast or inquire about some business shout outs, please get in touch. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate you all. Stay safe and until next time.